Good morning once again, Calvary Church. You look very rested right now. <laughs> well done. Way to take advantage of the extra hour here. My name is Matt Doan. I am our REACH pastor here at Calvary. And today is a unique Sunday. About three or four times a year, we push pause on our normal kind of scheduled programming, our sermon series at the time. And we push pause to do something very intentional. That is to remember and remind ourselves that the Jesus that we follow is not just the Lord of Calvary, not just the leader of Orange County, but the Jesus that has no rival or no equal is actually the leader, the Lord, the captain of this world. Amen? Amen. And we need reminders of that because if you're like me, you watch the news, you hear snippets from everywhere and you think, ugh, this world is struggling and I just want to get out of here. And yet there's a mission that we have here at Calvary to reach our neighbors. We talked about that last month and then even beyond that into the nations. The scriptures tell us to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love our neighbor. And then later the scriptures, Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples. And so today is a day to pause and be reminded of that. And so in just a moment, I have the privilege to introduce you to Lindsay Meany, one of our wonderful partners in mission. You're going to hear about his life and how it was impacted in incredible ways living in Albania. But before we do that, I want to also point out that it happens to be today is Persecuted Church Sunday. And so there's thousands of churches around the world that are reminded today that we have brothers and sisters who follow Jesus. Who have it a lot more difficult than we do. Right now in pockets of China, if you were to walk into a church, there would be a video camera on the entrance as you walked in. Because the government is monitoring who is coming to church today. We have brothers and sisters in Africa who literally the choice to show up and gather with other believers today is one that could cost their lives. And so we want to be sober-minded about our friends, our family around the world who risk everything for the gospel. But we also want to pray right now that they would be equipped and strengthened and encouraged in hard places. And so will you just take a moment now and let's pray together. Close your eyes. Father, it's true, you have no equal, no rival. No government, no military can ever hold the gospel back. Thank you, God, for the ways that in areas of persecution, your good news is thriving right now. And we lift up our family members around the world who are risking it all to live out your name, to gather together today. God, we thank you even recently for Andrew Brunson and his release from Turkey. God, that's your hand at work. But we also think of those that are still in prison today, not for any crime they've committed, but simply for saying they're a follower of you. But God, we pray the words of 1 Peter 5, which says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And we said, Amen. Amen. Well, it's my privilege now to introduce you to Lindsay Meany. Lindsay and his wife 
Alta and their two kids, David and Emma, are together as a family for the first time here at Calvary Church today. This is a really unique time. Alta's been here, Lindsay's been here, but never as a family. Uh, they both grew up, Lindsay and Alta and their kids, in Albania. They're currently in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, you can correct me on that. Uh, as Lindsay is getting his PhD right now to be more equipped to serve the church in Albania and around the world. Alta, Lindsay's wife, is the daughter of Pastor Birdie and his wife, Tana Dosti, who run our sister church in Luzhnia, Albania. And we wanted to get Birdie in on the mix. So here is Pastor Birdie from Albania introducing his son-in-law, Lindsay. Hello. Greetings, uh, Calvary Church from Luzhnia, Albania. My name is Bertie and Tatiana is my wife. I am the pastor of your sister church, Way of Peace. Uh, this morning, you are going to hear from my son-in-law, Lenzi Mene. He is a wonderful son-in-law, gifted and smart. I'm excited for you to hear his history. Hello, Alta. Hello, David and Tema. I will uh, pray for you this morning. Greetings from my church, and God bless you. Bye. Well done. Let's give a warm Calvary welcome to Lindsay Meany. So uh, I'm sure that for those who don't know me, when you see somebody coming to speak up in front of the church, you're wondering, you know, who is this guy and what is he doing here? And let me tell you this. When you have a jet lag and you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and then you stand in front of a thousand plus congregation, that's exactly the question you have for yourself. <laughs> and as, as Matt was talking about the persecuted church today, it's amazing that we can, all of us meet here in liberty, in freedom, and we can be joyful about hearing about the gospel, whereas others are suffering so much. But you see, our religion is more than a religion, it's a faith. It's a, it's a life and a world-changing faith. And it's interesting that as an old preacher once said, Wherever the Apostle Paul went, there was a revolution. Wherever I go, they serve tea. <laughs> and I do hope that as we, as we drink that tea this morning or after church, we understand that our faith has been given to us to serve others. And so that one day somebody like me, Lancy, can stand in front of you like this morning and say, I'm here because of someone like you. So in order to give you my story and not make it boring, I thought of doing it this way, of focusing on five important people in my life that have brought me to where I am today and without whom I wouldn't be standing in front of you. And if you do the same, if you invest in the lives of others, the exact same thing is going to happen here in Albania or anywhere else in the world. If only 
you accept the challenge of not being simply a spectator in what God is doing, but rather being a protagonist, the main actor in his story. So, first of all, I want to talk about the anonymous sower. 1991, in Albania, communism fell. Until that point, you, you, you never heard of God. Very few people in Albania even believed in one. I, for one, had rarely, if ever, heard the word God, let alone stories about him. And in 1991, I find myself in the southern part of Albania, in the hometown of the communist dictator, because that's where I come from. And it was a few months before then, missionaries had started to, to, to trickle into Albania and bring books with them, New Testaments in Albanian. Maybe it wasn't a great translation, but it was the first one we ever had in 1991. And as I walk to go back home from school, I think, one day, I walk along this dirt path which is full of stones, as, as you'd have it in, in countries like mine. And I look and I see this book lying on the floor, on the ground. And I pick it up. My father had taught me that whenever you see a book, pick it up and take it home. Respect it and read it. And that's what I did. I, it turned out that book was the New Testament. It was really the word sown on the rocks, or it was rather thrown there. Apparently, an anonymous sower, somebody who I don't know to this day who that was, a man or a woman, had come into Albania without even knowing any, any of us and had given a, a Bible to somebody, apparently, who had taken that Bible and had thrown, away, had thrown it away on the street. And I picked it up and I read it. And I immediately wanted to find out more about Christ. But what happened is that I just couldn't understand the message. So I ended up going to the Orthodox Church to find out about its meaning. And that's not the right place to go, unfortunately, if you want to find out about Christ. And so for a while I struggled there. I stayed for about six months. And then a friend of mine comes to me and says, look, all that you've been hearing about Christ may be wrong, so I'll take you to my imam, the leader of a Muslim congregation in town. Come and listen to him, talk to him, and then you make up your own mind about what you want to do. So I go to the mosque, and for five hours I ask him questions about Islam and about what Islam says about Christ. And I said, look, I love Christ. You know, I, I could never deny him, so what, what happens now? And he gave me the Islamic version. Basically that they love Jesus too, but they, they respect him only as a prophet. And then I really didn't need anyone to go in before God and achieve my forgiveness. All I needed to do is follow his commands, pray five times a day, fast once a year, go to Mecca if I could, and a few other things. And if you do your best, God is gracious enough to forgive your sins. And that's what I did. I had a hunger for God. It is something that was welling within me ever since I was a kid for some reason, but I just didn't know what I was hungering for. And at that moment, I thought I really found the truth. And what happened is a year later, I decided to take it a bit further. My parents really didn't want me becoming a Muslim. They're really secular Muslims. 
and they never cared about Islam and they didn't want me to be religious because you just throw your life away, you know, by be becoming religious instead of following a career. But I said, look, I really want to go to a Muslim school to study. I want to be equipped so that I can talk to other people about God and I want them to be saved and I want people to see the truth. And that's what I did. So I became a Muslim. That word that was sown on the rock of my heart didn't manage to grow. And I thought it died, but it didn't. But for a while I, I go to, as I said, to this Islamic school and I started to memorize the Quran and I had memorized about a third of it in Arabic. And so I was really fired up about it. I started reading books against Christianity. So wherever I could, wherever and whenever I could take hold of a Christian, I'll talk to them about what I thought was the truth. And I knew the Bible, especially the New Testament, and they didn't know it. Sometimes, even though they were Christian, they were like, said, like I said, Orthodox mainly, or Catholics. And so I really felt good about myself, you know, about beating them up with the truth. And I was really happy being a Muslim. It gave me a sense of, you know, discipline. Praying five times a day, you, you need a lot of discipline to do that. And learning a foreign language and repeating it every single day because you're doing it because God wants you to do that. It's something that really makes you disciplined. But as I read about the Bible more, especially books written against the Bible, the more troubled I became really. My question basically was this. How does one get saved if God is holy and I'm not? Islam doesn't really have a real answer for that because to tell me that, well, you do your best and God knows that you're a sinner, but because you belong to Muhammad, you'll be saved. That's called nepotism. And we do that all the time in Albania. It's called corruption. Because you're one of my friends, you still get in. But if God is really holy and I'm not, that can't be the way. I can't really do everything or anything to be saved. So what happens? How can I do that? That was my question really. And it, it, it kept troubling me for a whole year. I remember that like, like it was yesterday. And what happened is exactly what I needed. When you throw God's word away and nobody can really get near to you to actually spend time with you, you, you need a persistent evangelist. And that's exactly what happened for me. One summertime, I went to my grandparents' village, which was far away from, from my hometown at that point. It was more than eight hours away by bus. That's where I spent my summer holidays. And I heard that this group of Christians were, were in town, and I wanted to meet them, and I wanted to discuss and debate about God with them. And I did. But among that group was a man who didn't know Albanian really well, and he didn't speak English either. I knew some Italian, and he was Brazilian, so Portuguese, Italian, it's like, you know, it's like the Tower of Babel all over again. That, that was probably the one moment in history when God really regretted the Tower of Babel, because I needed to talk to this guy, right? And I couldn't. So anyway, but what was great about this was that I couldn't debate him because his opinion wasn't great. So I had to listen to him. And he came, one day he came to me, and his name was... Emmanuel. 
And he said, I'd like to talk to you about God, but I want us to strike a deal first. Do you just want us to debate or do you want to hear the truth? And I said, I really want to hear about the truth. And I said, then I hated myself for saying that. I said, I know the truth. Ihtina sirat al-mustaqeen is one of the prayers in Arabic from the Quran saying, Lord, lead us in the right path. And I had the right path, it was Islam. But I just wasn't sure anymore. So I said, okay, let's meet. For a whole month, that poor guy met with me. You know, I'm, I'm not, I didn't used to be the gracious guy I am today. <laughs> you know. And it was so, such a struggle, I'm sure. He was a persistent, though, and a very humble evangelist. So we sat down for a whole month, I think, like we met once a week, sometimes twice a week. He used to drive over because we had no cars, and I still don't. So help me out here. <laughs> but what happened was every single week we, we used to meet and I said, look, I have a list already with questions. I'm not going to debate you. I had like a hundred questions or more. And I'm just going to ask those questions to you. But please, don't give me Christianese. I know the, the Bible in a sense, but I want to know the answer from you. And it must be from the scriptures, but from you. And if you don't know the answer, just tell me you don't know it, rather than just try to lie to me. And that's what we did. And after a month, he kept praying for me, and the church kept praying for me. Now, there were two groups in the church I found out later, after I came to Christ. One group was praying, and I'm serious, that I may be saved. As bad as I was, people really wanted me to be saved. But there was another group of people who were praying that I should just leave them alone. Because I'd been going to their meetings, and people had started to leave those meetings as a result of my debating with, with Christians. God listens to all of our prayers. Thank God, though, that he doesn't answer them all. Because <laughs> I would not have been here today. And so, after a, a whole month, I remember going before God and saying, God, I'm horrified, I'm terrified. I'm a sinner, and I don't know the truth anymore. I thought I did. And at that point, it was 1995. I was only 17. I said, Lord, with all the brain in the world, I couldn't really make such an important decision for me that would define my eternity. I could still end up making the wrong decision. So just help me up here, and I'll follow you. And like I said, at the end of that month, I went before him, and I said, Lord, my mouth didn't even want to voice the words, Jesus is your son, and I really need your salvation that comes through him. But that's exactly what I said. All because of that anonymous sower who I've never met, that poor persistent evangelist who I did meet, and who gave me his love, his humility, and his humble Christian answers from the scriptures. And I got saved. And after that, I didn't know what to do anymore. Should I go back to, to my Islamic school, which was a high school, or should I just go back to a normal public high school? And Emmanuel, that man who represented Emmanuel in more than one way, he said, what do you want to do? It's up to you. I remember reading it in the scriptures one day, and it is crazy because it's only happened to me probably just this once. And I, I was reading the Bible at that time, and it was the book of Acts. 
And here is what I read. Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders, and he said, you know that in three years, I can testify to you on this very day that I'm clean, I'm guiltless from the blood of all of you, because I did not shrink from proclaiming to you the whole counsel of God. You know what that meant to me? Something I hated, because I, I thought, God, I've only been a Christian for like a month or less. Let me enjoy it for a while. And he was basically telling me, if you don't go back there, their blood will be on your hands. Your friends, to whom you've preached about Islam, are going to die maybe without the gospel. And how did I know it was God who told me that? Well, because I didn't want to go back. But there was like a hammer in my head. This word kept coming back, go, so that your blood will, your, your hands will be innocent from those people's blood. And for a whole year I went back as a missionary, in a sense, to my Muslim friends. I evangelized them. No, none of them came to Christ. One of them came to church, but then went back to Islam. But they, all of them heard the gospel. It's amazing, isn't it? God used someone like me, an enemy of the gospel, as Paul said, to evangelize. I would have never thought that possible. And after a year, obviously, I was found out and I was kicked out because I was ruining everybody else's Islamic faith, and it was an Islamic school. So after that, I left, and a few years later, I started to uh, lead a stu university student's ministry. And I started preaching, which was an amazing thing, because I knew from the very beginning, after coming to Christ, that my life's goal was simple. I just knew it. It was simply to make people hear the gospel as it is and make them understand that the Bible as we have today, despite what Muslims say, is exactly the same Bible that Jesus and the apostles had or proclaimed in their day. And I just wanted to learn languages and I couldn't do that. This was Albania. So I started picking up some Greek on my own. So as I did all that, I think God was making me ready for the next stage. But in this case, sometimes to go to the next stage, you need to find the right wife. <laughs> the third person is not my wife, but she was the catalyst for that. So I, I met my, my wonderful wife, Alta, at a Christian camp, and then I got to meet her parents. And uh, as you could, you've already seen my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they're amazing people. What you need at a certain moment in your life is an empowering leader. And that's exactly the kind of man he is. And because he is the man he is, he's empowered his daughter in such a way that she to this day has never complained about the things we lack in life or the different, <coughs> different places we, we go to. Sorry, I'm, in, I'm a bit emotional. I'm like that, you know, I'm a crybaby. But she's been with me all along. And, you know, in a sense, that's because of Bertie and Tana. That's their work. And when we met, we said, I said, look, I just want to follow the Lord. Are, are you up for it? I'm not going to become anyone famous anytime soon. I'm not going to be rich ever. And she said, it's fine, you know, because otherwise I would have found another man. And she, she had many options. <laughs> and... And so, you know, I was, I was up for it. So I, I talked to, to Bertie and, and Tana, and 
uh, I ended up working for them at some point, working for Betty, and he ended up being not my Laban, but my Jethro. He was an empowering leader. And he said, now it's, it's time for you to do what God has called you to do. So despite the thousand projects they have in Lushnia, he said, you, you should keep on teaching. He helped me, you know, and said, now you, you go to that other school and, and teach the Bible. There was a Bible school. And then he kicked us out of the church so we could go and do some uh, more studies. After my MD, uh, we, I did my MTH and my wife did a certificate in theological studies. And all along, my father-in-law was more than a friend to us because he is a leader who understands that the goal of the leader is not to do everything, but to empower others to do much more than he can ever do on his own. He's always been there, an amazing man. And then life went on and we did different ministries in, at, at the church. And guys, while I don't know most of you here, I know some of you, especially the leaders, and I'm amazed at what kind of church you are. Because I've been blessed to, to work along some of the best guys here, you know, from, from Pastor Dave to, to Matt, to the rest of the church leaders, I've met the elders, we spent some great time in Albania. You, you're an amazing church because you can't choose the right leaders if you're not the right kind of church. And it's amazing, and I know that those leaders are like my father. They want to empower you to do lots of great things for the Lord if only you want to and you're willing to do so. And then the next stage, after, you know, after I got to meet Alta, working with Bertie, after, and, you know, we kind of dated, and I, there was a lot of begging involved and a lot of rejection, but, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but ultimately I, I said yes, so, uh, so, so we, we, we got married, and y you know that's not true. I, I'm, not, I'm not even, you know, pretty or anything, but, you know, I, to this day I don't know what's, what's going on, but there is a magic which keeps on giving. And I'm glad for that. So after that stage, uh, we, did my, uh, we did our MTH. We go back to Albania, uh, back to cooperating with the church. But we were living in a different town. The church sent us to Tirana. Uh, and Bertie really wanted to keep me out of, uh, out of his church. But at that point, we thought, we just knew like something else had to happen. I had a desire to teach, and I was teaching in, in Albania, but only up to a certain level. And I really wanted to teach the Bible, but I wanted to te teach Greek and Hebrew, and I couldn't do that in Albania. I wanted to go further. So what I did was I started a whole new thing. Maybe I, th I thought people are going to read it. I started the translation and commentary of the earliest church literature from Greek into Albanian. And that's been going really well, thank God. I didn't even expect the kind of reception those books would, had, would have had in Albania. And that's going to continue until I die, because it's a long, long project. But at some point, somebody gets in touch with me. And it was a scholar, of all people. Because you think scholars, you know, are just focused on their own studies, and, you know, especially the better ones who teach at great universities like Cambridge, Oxford, uh, they're focused on their own selves. And, I mean, you wouldn't be far from the truth. But it's not in this case. Peter Williams is the warden or the principal of Tyndale House, which is formally affiliated with the University of Cambridge. And his job is to empower people from countries like mine, apparently, which I didn't know about, 
so that if he sees a promising ministry, he supports a certain person with studies so that they can do the best with what they've learned for their own country and beyond. And I get to meet this wonderful man at a huge conference where 2,000 people were there. And he picks me up, we talk together, and he says, I'm going to make it happen for you. And so I apply for an MPhil, and he provides much of the money that I needed. And so we go there, I complete my MPhil, and you know what I, I, I studied there? Exactly what I planned on doing in 1995. The Greek language and the ancient manuscripts of Paul so that I could prove to people that the word of God we have today has always been and remained the same. And having finished that, we ended up in Edinburgh now where, where I'm doing a PhD. But I'm not here to make my CV. I'm here to say that this man was so wonderful. He could have spent time with anyone, but he spent time in that huge conference with me, a nobody. He gave me the time of day, he encouraged me, and he took me to Cambridge. How cool is that? You know, it's amazing, because I couldn't choose. Beggars can't be choosers, you know, and I couldn't choose, but I really wanted to do something like that. I knew God had gifted me for that, and it happened. And then, finally, what I've had in my life has been an amazing benefactor, a selfless benefactor, and his name is probably well known in this church, Chuck Ball. That man, I knew, I got to know in 2003. That man gave his life thinking about missions. Even though his wife had just died a few months previously, or like a year, I think, he was still thinking about the mission field. And the reason that I'm here today is, is Chuck Ball. I mean, he made it happen. Through the years, he made Calvary Church stay connected with us. And then finally, the, the, the leaders wonderfully decided to, to support our family and then to support the church in a hundred projects, like so many different projects. But that all started really with Chuck Ball, and it kept going. The last email I received from him was just a week before he died. He said, Lenzi, if you need anything, just let me know. It's all about Albania in capitals. A week later, he died. What a way to go, to care for those nobody cares for, for a country nobody even knows about, and those that do, they want to shun it. And here's the thing, I've only got two minutes. I stand in front of you today because different people at different stages did something for me. My life is the investment of somebody else. And you can do the same as these people can, as these people did. Maybe you think, well, but I don't have the same kind of gifts, or I don't have as much money, or I don't have as much time, I don't have as many skills. You know what? Don't worry about it, because God used different people with different skills to bring me where I am today. And you know, I was thinking about it because you think about your life and it's funny because you come to the realization that whatever you do accrues as benefits, as dividends for those who invested in you first, even after they're gone. This church, I think, was created in 1931, if I'm not mistaken. So it's been at least around for about 
80 years now, 80 some years. Most of the people are not here anymore. They've gone on to be with the Lord, just like Chuck did, and like my other friend, my Judy, and then Terry did. But you see, their contribution keeps on going until the day Jesus returns. How wonderful is that? Whatever you do today will keep on being invested long after you're gone. And when Jesus returns, you'll be rewarded not for what you did while you were living, but also for what happened after you died and went to be with the Lord. And so, I come to that crucial verse you've been quoting until now, and you've been using at church, which basically says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and He sent His own Son as a way of expiation, forgiveness for our sins. So, beloved, just if, if God so loved us, or in Greek it's actually, if God loved us so intensely, intensely, then we should love one another. It's an obligation of love. Why should you do what these people did for me? That's probably a good question to ask. Well, first of all, because you will save somebody's life from hell, like the anonymous sower did with me and the persistent evangelist. And you can save and then change somebody's life, like by investing in their school or by investing in their life, by sitting down with them, by, by just giving them an encouragement. You can make their life worthwhile, worth living, change their life forever. That's the second reason. And I think the third reason is the most important one. What should motivate all of us is basically the fact that we are loved so much that God gave His most important possession, His own Son, to die for us. And what He expects from us here, He says, I loved you so intensely. He, he doesn't expect us to give back to God, to pay back. He expects you to pay forward. What you have, just give it to somebody else. As you go out of this place today, remember that you're a missionary. And if you give, you will receive much more than you can ever think or imagine. And maybe one day somebody will be standing right here in this very church, just like me, and saying, you know what, I'm here today because of someone like you. So, love. Amen. Lord, I thank you so much that these wonderful people today had to bear with me. And Lord, I thank you that they have been for such a long time behind us in everything that we do. They've been supporting us financially, time-wise, with their prayers and with their friendship, Lord. And I count myself and my wife blessed to just be able to have been around these wonderful people. And Lord, I pray today this simple prayer. Change the lives of those here who do not know you yet. And make the lives of those who do know you worthwhile by making them understand that if they give, they will receive beyond what they could ever imagine because they have been loved so much and so we have a lot to give back.
and be happy for it. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much, guys. So we want to respond, even what we've just heard, and we're going to take our offering in just a moment, and that's another act of worship. Just like we sing, just like we open God's word, uh, giving of our finances is an act of worship. And so I'll invite our ushers down, and I'll pray in just a moment. I want to invite you and remind you that we have a program called Faith Promise here. There's a card that's in the bulletin booklet that you received when you came in today. If you're not part of our Faith Promise program, this is a really cool opportunity to give. What we say is it's above and beyond what you normally give to Calvary Church week in and week out. By faith, you're going to commit to this amount that you'll give towards what God's doing around the world through our missionary partners. Now, you don't have to sign up for Faith Promise to give to missions, but I would encourage you, this is above and beyond what you normally give to Calvary. Because our goal is to keep the ministries of Calvary going, and then out of that, then extend outside of Orange County into the world. So faith promise is one opportunity. You can even check the box here and drop it in the offering in just a moment. And I just challenge you, encourage you, keep sowing into what God's doing through Calvary around the world. And then there's a couple other ideas I want to just kind of plant in your mind right now. One is this. If you don't have a passport that's active, you need to go get one. What a great opportunity to say, God, I don't know if you want to send me anywhere on a go team, short-term team, but I'm just going to get my passport renewed or I'm going to finally get a passport. And God, how do you want to use it? In September, we had a small team from Calvary go to China. In October, we had a team go to Cuba. And right now, from our Hispanic church, Elena Sanchez, our first member of our Hispanic church to go on a short-term team trip is in Spain. It's awesome. It's so cool. So what? maybe you're next. Get your passport. Say, God, I'm ready. And then here's a way to pray. Maybe you'll remember this. Look at the tags of your clothes every morning before you put them on. They're made from Thailand, Indonesia, China, Vietnam, Mexico. Pray for that country. You know the tag inside your clothes. Look at who made it. Pray for the Christians in that country. Pray for the gospel to be made known in that country. Just a small way. Get your passport. Have little triggers in your life to be praying globally for what God is doing around the world. And then finally, as you leave the lobby here today, our Operation Christmas Child table is up. You saw the Christmas tree when you came in? It's not just Target that's ready for Christmas. Calvary Church is ready for Christmas. (laughs) This is a great tool. These boxes literally go around the world to kids who receive them joyfully And the gospel is communicated clearly to them. There's story after story of how God's used these little shoeboxes to proclaim his truth. So grab a box as you leave. So let me pray and then we'll continue to worship. Father, we thank you that you are the God of Calvary, the God of Orange County, the God of this world. As I've already prayed, God, I just want to say that to you once again. We acknowledge that. Lord, make us a generous church. Thank you for Chuck and Judy Ball and their generosity towards uh, the meanies. God, may we be the next generation of generosity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.